This series is produced by the folks at Vic Health, Victoria's health promotion agency. You know, we should really kind of think about um, what we can do to build these meaningful social connections in young people who are seemingly embedded in our institutions, but may not feel connected. They may not feel like someone's got their back. Um, how do we kind of make them feel included and, and part of a network that's meaningful to them? Hello and a big welcome to In Good Health. I'm your host, Dr. Sandro, and I'm a medical doctor, public health expert, and foodie. Our special guest today is Dr. Michelle Lim. Michelle is a senior lecturer in clinical psychology and leads the Social Health and Wellbeing Laboratory at Swinburne University of Technology. Her main interest is focused on how loneliness can negatively impact social functioning, as well as the negative impacts to our mental health, such as anxiety, depression, and paranoia. Michelle is also the Scientific Chief Advisor for Ending Loneliness Together, a national Australian network made up of universities and industry partners. In this episode, we'll be chatting with Michelle about the differences between feeling lonely and being alone and what meaningful connections actually mean. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to see you again. Lovely to see you, Sandra. I want to start, so 2021, it's been... Uh, well, to say a crazy ride the last 18 months would be an understatement. But one of the things that's really been affected is our ability to stay connected. Uh, and while we've pivoted digital, the style and types of connections have changed so profoundly. So how common is loneliness in Australia now? Uh, what we do know is about one in four Australians would report what we call problematic levels of loneliness or high mm. distressing levels of loneliness. There's an additional issue about whether is it that we would experience distressing levels of loneliness and therefore have impact on a uh, negative impact on our health, or is it that we um, experience mm. these sorts of distressing loneliness in a much more enduring chronic way and more persistent way so that kind of research is still fairly new we don't really have a good understanding of what we call enduring loneliness uh, we would imagine that um, similar to other kind of health conditions um, the more chronic or more enduring the experience mm. can actually lead to poorer health outcomes as well you mentioned before that you know loneliness is associated with a bunch of chronic diseases do we know you know which way the relationship flows is it that you know loneliness increases your chance of these diseases or that somehow like with mental illness uh these that these diseases can also exacerbate or, or make us feel feelings of loneliness it's a good question um so for mental health conditions we know that loneliness predicts high levels of depression anxiety and paranoia um, but what predicts loneliness back is actually a high level of social anxiety so if you fear having social interactions with others, if you feel like you're being negatively evaluated or judged, you're more likely to also feel lonely six months down the line. So there's a really strange reciprocal relationship between loneliness and social anxiety disorder or social anxiety symptoms. Mm. Uh, with cardiometabolic diseases, for example... Like heart disease. Yeah, that's right. It's less is known. What we do uh, see from the epidemiological data sets, both international and, na and national data sets, is that... Um, if you're lonely, you're more likely to report um, poorer um, 
um, heart health um, mm. about four years down the line, mm. and and type two di- diabetes as well. Uh, oh, interestingly, okay. Interesting. but but not cancer. <laughs> so it's very okay. specific. So so increased loneliness is associated with heart disease and diabetes. That's right. Yeah, and and, a lot and do we know why? Well, a, a lot of the theories around that and previous research from Professor Cassiopo's work in University of Chicago is really looking at um, brain processes um, if someone feels lonely. When we feel like someone doesn't have our back, when we feel disconnected, we do process um, information about the social world very differently. Mm. We navigate the world very differently. We're definitely more stressed out. And, you know, the, the accumulation of, of actually navigating these sorts of social situations continuously could actually lead to poorer health uh, down the track. Oh, right. So it could be through loneliness affecting our sort of anxiety or, or levels of stress, physiological stress. That's right. And there's even research that looks at um, blood pressure regulation mm. um, and also ability to kind of fight off um, infections, mm, you know. That, yeah, exactly. All those things are actually lowered uh, or poorer if one feels lonely. So it's really, yeah, I, and I think this really kind of um, it's evidence really that you know, feeling lonely itself is a very stressful response. It's almost like the social stressor that we're going through. But we don't talk about it enough. You know, I think that's the problem with loneliness is that in our society, or at least in, in, in Australian society, when we say the word lonely, um, it comes with a very negative connotation, mm. like there's actually yeah. something wrong with you, uh, when in fact it's something that's triggered as a, almost a, a mechanism for you to do something different. Mm. But yet we kind of put that layer of stigma on it. So if you know, most people who do feel lonely will neglect it, ignore it, think it will go away. Um, and if it doesn't go away, it actually can lead to poorer health outcomes. And is all loneliness abnormal? Like, it w- Should we expect to feel a certain amount of loneliness in our lives or in our, in our weeks? Sandra, I think you and I probably would, would admit that at some point we, we all do feel yeah. lonely, especially when you have you know, um, very strong relationships and, and strong networks. Um, we can all feel lonely mm. at some point. Uh, whether you feel persistently lonely or not is a whole other mm. issue. Um, there are people who might feel lonely but are able to actually um, get out of these cycles of loneliness because they um, have the social resources. Mm. Um, they are able to have the skills and the motivation to actually get out and actually do something different with their relationships and their networks. And then other people who can't because of other reasons mm. um, as simple as even things like mobility, finances. Mm. Uh, we know that loneliness has a strong relationship with um, people um, who might report lower socioeconomic uh, status, Income. for example. Exactly. Yeah. So it's um, and it, and so that's that's likely to be the ability to almost afford to access the social connection rather than some sort of inherent difference in the individual because of their income look i I think that um being a clinical psychologist i I had a very narrow view of what drove loneliness before and Mm. very much in a in a psychological point of view it's very much a cognitive bias which is largely driven by that when you say cognitive bias so what 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 do you mean so i guess it's about a a way of thinking that might not be um stem in reality so it might be that we think that you know, oh, that person didn't look at me, so they must not like me, they don't want to connect with me, or they might not want to be friends with me. Um, but in fact, when actually, and, and actually that that becomes a, a thought and a belief and, and, and I self-fulfilling. Might, 
Exactly. Mm. So I might then look down and not smile at you in the morning mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of then creates that barrier to connection. And, and loneliness is largely driven by that. But at the same time, there's so many other factors mm. um, that go on with that and systemic factors. And, um, you know, the, you know, even from the environment that we are working under, you know, mm. uh, even urban design and yeah. the way we construct our offices actually facilitate or, or inhibit um, social interactions. Mm. So we need to have those social interactions in order to build those meaningful social relationships. We, meet, we need resources. We need finances um, to be able to, to build relationships and to invest um, so it's not just an issue that is caused by what we call a, a thinking error or cognitive bias but mm. it, it is more than that it is a very systemic issue it's, mm. it's got many predictors so what would you say so what when we look at the evidence what would be the main drivers or risk factors for loneliness I think the biggest factor that we really need to uh, focus on is poor health. Um, mm. You know, the, the, the fact that it leads to poorer mental health, but also poorer physical health. Um, one one of the things that people don't realise is that really the impact on um, poorer physical health outcomes, even for young people. Mm. Uh, we always assume that young people are healthy and physically fine, but we know that um, loneliness and early markers of cardiometabolic disease, for example, uh, occurs very early, mm. as late as late adolescence, that we can see vascular aging, for example, mm. in someone who's lonely, um, even oh. if the, in, in a young adulthood stage. Um, so, you know, that has massive implications for young people's health, mm. you know, that we don't actually uh, think about addressing someone's loneliness because of physical health, but in fact, actually, we just need to address loneliness because of health reasons. We've all experienced loneliness at some point in our lives. It's part of being human. But a new global survey from Ipsos has shown that loneliness is on the rise worldwide. In fact, the survey reported two in five people became lonelier during the second half of 2020. In Australia, according to the Australian Loneliness Report from 2018, one in four people feel lonely. So what's driving our loneliness? And is this different from being alone? Michelle is here to help us answer these very questions. So there's a lot of confusion around the, the terminology in this space. There's alone, lonely, uh, you know, isolation, and then connection and meaningful social connection. In terms of alone versus lonely, are they the same thing? So being alone is very much more equivalent to being socially isolated. So actually that really kind of refers to being physically alone. Physically, okay. That's right. Uh, whereas lonely, you could be alone in a crowd, you could be alone in a marriage, um, alone within a family unit, um, that you don't feel that people understand you or that you have that meaningful social connection. You don't feel like um, there are people that you can turn to to talk to uh, when you really need that. So tell me about meaningful social connection. What what is that? So meaningful social connections when you feel like someone's um, got your back. You know when you feel like they understand you. You're speaking the same language, um, and it doesn't have to always be emotional. Sometimes it could be an instrumental kind of uh, relationship. Um, but a lot of people might um, 
have a category of who's more meaningful than others. So it might mm. not be a, just a dichotomous thing. It might be uh, you know something on a continuum. Um, one thing that's really important is to understand that not all relationships that you have have to be meaningful. Mm. <laughs> it's okay to have a, a variety <laughs> a of A few meaningless friends. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There are people that you know might come in and out of your life for yeah, reasons, okay. uh, different reasons, mm. and that's okay. I think that for a lot of young people, they feel like they need to have very strong meaningful social connections all the time but when in fact mm. as, that's a lot of pressure mm. and as we age uh, we know that our relationships change so there's a lot of research for example that says that you know for young people we, we they favor they favor a uh, quantity of relationships mm. but that kind of drops off as you get older and the quality then becomes uh, a lot more important so you might have fewer friends but they're a lot deeper and it could be a reflection of our transitions in life, you know, perhaps having less time to invest um, or perhaps placing less value in um, particular kinds of friendships and kind of moving towards more um, um, more complex but more meaningful relationships where they, you, you can really invest. Mm. So how many meaningful friendships, you know, would, it, would the average person have in their 20s or 30s? I mean, I imagine... Every, everyone's listening in thinking oh god have I got have I got enough have I got too many like what what's a ballpark of like what's normal I think that that's a good question but it really uh, depends on the person's social needs because as you would imagine social needs mm. are quite complex I imagine actually between you and I we have very different social needs <laughs> I don't need ma- you I don't have need thousands very, and I no. have <laughs> might be the other way around <laughs> um I I don't you know I you know, I'm also an introvert, so it doesn't really help. So mm. it's um, you know, someone who's introverted can, is quite happy in their own space. Um, but it's probably a, what a, hand, a handful, a few handfuls. We're not talking hundreds, and I think that's something that it's important to to kind of call out because a lot of people do. I remember working as a doctor. People would say, you know, uh, almost they should have more friends. Like it was a it was a sense of of, of shame for not having very many close friends, and um, very often actually just talking about kind of well actually that's that's very normal to have only a few very close friends that you catch up with and particularly as you get older as you say as life gets busier so you know we're probably talking what a couple of handfuls not yeah uh, a couple of hundred or thousands yeah <laughs> like a thousand facebook friends yeah um the other thing is to, is to think about our friendships in a much more flexible way like we, we won't we have friends for different needs you mm. know you might speak to friend a about this particular subject but you know not in something else you know mm. we actually if we have that slight diversity and complexity in our social network that could really help us and again you know it's not um to ensure as well um that we adjust our expectations of what friendships are i think a, a lot of people think that oh you know i've been friends with this person since primary school you know i have to maintain that friendship and hold on to it when in fact these relationships um do get disconnected Mm. and then sometimes get back and it's okay and it's okay to have relationships that come and go you know and i think this idea of we have to be friends we have to do this and we have to it has to be this way it has to be exactly equal it has to be we have to meet up that's a lot of pressure Mm. and it's not always consistent with life and reality and there are friends in your life that might disconnect from you for no fault of, of your own it's just that it's something that happened to them and happened in their life it's got nothing to do with you and that's okay as well and if we can have those flexible beliefs around what friendship is and um you know divert our attention to the ones that 
um, feel good for us. That's mm. really that's really important. I've noticed also a lot of people over COVID have there's been almost a sense of guilt about friendships about I should have been a better friend I should have stayed in in closer contact um I mean how have you has that something that you you've you've seen in the literature or heard of you know even personally I mean yeah over COVID uh you know it obviously our friendships have been affected in all sorts of different ways and what I've been hearing a lot from my friends lately is almost kind of lots of apologies for not for not being them, not perceiving that they're ve- they've been very good friends for, you know, catching up as often as they want. I mean, how do you navigate, you know, giving yourself the the authority to just be the friend that you are, as opposed to kind of judging constantly or even worrying about the quality of the connection you're providing or the the connection that you're getting. Yeah, look, I think uh, that's a very good question, and it's, it's you know, it's a. Uh it's about the individual and how they can navigate that space. Because sometimes, especially d- during COVID, as you would know, um, lots of people are stressed out, mm. uh, COVID fatigue from all the news. Um, a lot of them are just really just trying to cope. Yeah. Um, so how much can we give our friends in terms of quality is also questionable. Mm. You know, I think it, it does affect our relationships. But I think one thing that's really important is we also know that we're incredibly resilient. Um, we um, can pick up friendships and actually um, nurture those ones and sometimes they don't always happen happen to they don't always have to happen face to face as you would know but is that more consistent um, contact even if it's brief that might be more important than this one big party that you're going to have and invest you know eight hours or a big trip you know perhaps it's more that kind of more housekeeping things that we have mm. to do over time yeah. that can be done even in a COVID safe environment I think that's really helpful, though, to reflect on because sometimes I think social connection, whether you have it, whether you don't, and how much you give it and how much you get can almost be a source of guilt in our in our modern lives. And I think particularly as you get older, you know, and, and life gets busier, friends, uh, you know, and family and work and everything else, all of the things we're trying to balance alongside each other. And so I think giving yourself or understanding that, first of all, friends, friendships will change and evolve over time and sometimes they'll be stronger and take more of your time and sometimes they won't and also that they won't be the same across all your friendships um, and and I think also acknowledging that there's no there's no kind of perfect friendship that, yeah. that like social yeah. connection can come in different forms and still be really meaningful and it's important for the person who might feel that way that to also reflect that their needs change mm. you know it's not always about the friendships that they, they might need something different and that's okay mm. it's, it's again moving through different life transitions and the very common experience that people often talk about is um, being a new parent for example you know their social needs have changed um, or their social resources have changed and so how do you, how do they kind of maintain the existing friendships that they had um, as now as a new parent because they're in a completely different phase of their life and some friends may understand what parenthood's about and others may not and so they have to pivot and do a little and they might find new networks that might actually support their new uh, phase in life. Mm. And you're probably also developing some pretty deep social connections with a little guy or girl in your <laughs> life too. That's right. What, what's, what are some tips or some advice for listeners in terms of maintaining or even restarting, reigniting a sense of social connection after COVID? 
I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that all of our social connections would have been um, would have suffered at some point mm. uh, during COVID. Um, even if you had a very strong network before, you might feel that um, you have a lot to catch up on. Mm. Okay, and it's really important for us to um, acknowledge it's a bit of a social challenge. We're out of our social routines, but that doesn't mean that we can't actually reinitiate those ones or revisit those ones or even build new relationships. Mm. And if things are a little bit too hard, perhaps kind of taking them in chunks and little steps as opposed to big expectations and big move gestures and movements to kind of make things right. Mm-hmm. So I think um, an example that I, I gave before was, you know, instead of kind of uh, having this expectation that you have to throw a big party or, you know, kind of make a big gesture that you care about someone, it's more those little things and checking in um, and making the effort, um, even if you... Say, for example, if you typically text, make the effort to call. Mm. You know, it's just like that simple modification that can kind of help you get back into feeling more comfortable initiating some of these friendships again. Um, some people may also f- have an increase in social anxiety mm. because they have a lack of exposure during COVID. Again, if that's the case, it's something for you to kind of th- take things very slowly and to kind of take things in, in chunks. And, you know, you may not feel comfortable right away to socializing. Um, and that's okay. So kind of um, breaking it down to little steps of how you can get back to how you might have felt in the pre-COVID um, time. I wanted to ask a question about culture and its influence, because from my own experience, I lived in Denmark, the US and Australia, and I was recently reflecting on making friends in those different countries. And I remember in America, everyone is your friend straight away, particularly as an Australian. Uh, they love the accent and you suddenly invited to barbecues and all sorts of stuff. But I noticed that when I left America, the relationships were, were fairly superficial and, and we quickly lost tie apart from, you know, friends on Facebook or whatever. Whereas Denmark, it was interesting. It was very different. It took ages to become part of the social circles to develop friendships but the friendships that I developed with Danes, they're like lifelong. I could not see my Danish friends, two in particular, for a decade and it's almost like family. So how much does culture play into how we develop social connection, how quickly and how deeply and how long-lasting that social connection is? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question and I, I do think that it plays quite a critical role and in fact a role that we overlooked or not. Um, perhaps not not even understand very well, um, and I've you know uh, it, it really depends on your network and your ability, and o- and also I think perhaps even the network that you make, you mm. know, and I, so just like you, I, I've lived in America, but mm. I, I've lived in the Midwest, and there's a very different culture in the Midwest yeah. <laughs> to the East Coast. Yep. E- everyone's your friend, but they're also your friend for a very long time, mm. you know, and. Um, you know, it's been 10 years since I lived there, but it, it's still quite constant contact. Um, but if I were to leave, live in the East Coast, you know, people are a lot more transient, for example, yeah. even within that country. Um, so perhaps my friendships may not be as enjoyable. I don't, I don't know. Mm. It's, it's, it's unusual just even looking at within country mm. cultures are quite different. Um, and I have very much heard about the, the Danes and the close friendship networks and also the value that they place on family and friends. Mm. You know, I think it's a much higher than most other countries that I know of. Mm. Yeah, they, they talked about it being related to the fact that 
the winters are so long that, you know, the people you choose, you have to spend a long, lot of time with. So you choose them wisely. <laughs> you what, better like them. Yeah, you better mean. like them if you're going to spend 20 hours a day for yeah. six months of the year. Yeah. Whereas, you know, countries where that wasn't the case. Yeah, anyway. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe that's, maybe that's your next study, Michelle. Spend a lot of time in Scandinavia. I'll come with you for that one. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about the social media. I mean, you have to, we, I have to ask the question. So it's, it probably surprises a lot of people particularly maybe older people looking at younger generations, maybe younger generations themselves. You know, we have 20,000 friends on social media or we're followed by a few thousand people or we have 6,000, you know, connections on LinkedIn and yet loneliness is skyrocketing. Make sense of that for me. So I think it's very easy for us to kind of link and associate that social media could be one of the root causes. Um, I don't think we have enough research that would, directly show a prediction so sometimes we need years or at least a decade of data to really kind of link those two um, variables together what we do know from the literature is that um, it's really about the way you might use it so there's a difference between using social media to meet someone new that you've never met before versus using social media to maintain the ones that you've already met face-to-face. So there's a big difference. um, And different generations use social media um, differently as well. I think the the older people tend to kind of think that, you know, social media or these um, increased use within young people networks um, might be one of the causes of feeling lonely but it's also what they know. Mm. Uh, that's they, you know a lot of them having to be exposed otherwise. So I think that with every generation, we tend to kind of pinpoint or try to go, oh, you know, it must be this, you mm. know, and, and and because of the accelerated use of this, and, and and that's what's driving loneliness. But I think we need to take a pause and also think about how these sorts of tools can be used to connect people mm. and also to help them gain more social confidence so that they can actually bring those skills into face-to-face reality. And there are a lot of people who do that. Um, in Melbourne, for example, there are a lot of people who say have a shared interest. I don't know. They love dogs or particular mm. breed of dogs. And what I notice is that they wouldn't know each other otherwise, but then they would then, you know, have puppy play dates or something like that. Mm. <laughs> and then actually then bring this online friendship into face-to-face uh, settings mm. so that's that's one way that social media can be used for good you know so it's um it's, it's it's for us to really kind of link the two i think we need kind of years of research for that but also i can see how it can benefit a lot of people who might feel lonely as well and um, using that space to meet new people in a kind of less confronting way and then bring that friendship um into uh, real life but even if we don't know if social media use is driving loneliness and that's a big question and that's I know something that you're looking at um how is it that we we are in a connect in a, in a world that has never been so connected and yet loneliness rates of loneliness are increasing I mean what is it about the level of social connection or the type of connection that we get from being digitally connected liking something looking at a photo you know that is different from the connection we get in real life is it different or is it just do, do we not know i mean how, how can we be so globally and locally interconnected and yet lonely very good question <laughs> i don't know but again I, loneliness is one of those things that might be a consequence of a multitude of different mm. things including our values including mm. where society might have started to shift um their values and even 
even systems like, you know, workplace culture, for example, you know, we're really expected to come into work and work and, and, and spend a lot of time just on task and mm. not necessarily encourage always to kind of socialize with colleagues. Mm. You know, like little systems like that that kind of um, discourage us from actually developing more meaningful social connection. Um, even things like, you know, our values to s- strive to be the best mm. at everything we do. That, that that means something's got to give. You know, mm. we we don't have as much time for friends and family, or to to spend more times doing leisurely things that we might otherwise engage socially. Mm. You know, so such minute little things and, and expectations and pressures in society might actually cause us to shift less attention to things that are actually really important for our health and well being. Going back to the concept of meaningful social connection. We're, you know, globally connected. We've, we're, we're on multiple platforms. People are on Twitter. People are able to get access to information all day, every day. Is it the fact that it's not meaningful social connection that is the kind of huge disconnect between the amount of information and kind of interaction that is occurring and yet the high and increasing rates of loneliness? Yeah, Look, I, um, it, that's the definition about like what's meaningful to you, mm. you know, because what might be meaningful to you might not be meaningful to me, right? Yeah. So it's about our ability to ask ourselves what would actually satisfy our own social needs and what's mm. meaningful. For some people, they would say, actually having these brief interactions with people are enough for me. That's enough. I don't mm. need any more. And that might be meaningful for me uh, compared to someone else uh, who might say, no, I really like that one-on-one chat, that coffee, that time that you know reflection of oh, how have you been like actually that that focus mm. that's meaningful to me uh compared to the kind of more brief interactions i might have with you so i think that the question is what's actually meaningful to that person and whether mm. they can like, uh, are their behaviors and actions actually meeting those um, um social needs for them This podcast is brought to you by the team at VicHealth, Victoria's own health promotion agency. So Michelle, I've got a couple of questions here from our audience. So question from Jack, what are the long-term impacts of loneliness, uh, even short periods of loneliness? Can it create trauma? Can it create some sort of long-lasting? So is there a permanent impact from even short periods of loneliness on our health? So because loneliness by definition is a subjective feeling again this is could be quite nuanced and could differ from individual to individual what i would say is that if you feel lonely and distressed um it's really important for us to kind of see as a signal to do something different before the health impacts uh, actually Mm. do set in because when we actually are in a long state of stress that's actually when it's problematic so even if it's brief for you and someone who might feel lonely in a kind of a sharp sharp bout of loneliness um, that is actually not a good state for them. So mm. it's really important, uh, and it might cause things like trauma. So it's really important for them to kind of seek the help and not see loneliness as a signal like they've failed or they've done something wrong. It's actually a signal for them to kind of seek that help. Mm. This one's from Tessa. I find it really difficult to be alone by myself, even for short periods. What are some things that I can do to feel more comfortable with being alone? 
good question. Uh, I think it might be understanding and building the tolerance to be by yourself and understanding that being by yourself and in your own space doesn't mean that you are losing a connection somewhere. Mm. Um, sometimes it's that connection with yourself that's really important and kind of using that time as a, a, a time of reflection. Um, and it's okay and, and not to be too hard on themselves if they can't they, if they feel they can't be by themselves for that long. Mm. It's to actually build that space but also find ways of um, being by themselves and recharging as opposed to a, a source of distress for them. This final one's from Andre. I feel like I've been relying on technology more for social connections, especially with lockdown. But I'm worried that this is affecting my abilities to interact socially in real life. Should I be worried? I think that's a very valid worry at this stage. And I think a lot of us would share that same concern. What is really important is when we do have these opportunities to actually see someone face to face is to take them. Um, and that might alleviate the worry and um, it's important that we keep a range of tools mm. uh, under our belt to actually maintain our friendships and relationships. So having those tools actually um, is very realistic, especially during COVID, um, and to use them when you, they need to. But where there are times where we are able to see people, even if we were to stay COVID safe and in a mask, do that. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Thanks for listening to the In Good Health podcast. To find out more about the work that we do, head over to our website, vichealth.vic.gov.au. Oh, and make sure you check us out on social media under at VicHealth.